I don't know how I managed to make such a dog's dinner out of this. Okay, so um, I will try to speak up. Is anything coming through? No, okay, so. Okay, so. Um, um, <laughs> So this evening, um, I'd like to offer some reflections on uh, the four sublime abidings, the four Brahma Viharas, or this wonderful, beautiful qualities of mind, the immeasurables. And um, yeah, I think obviously you're all very aware of these teachings and practices and so um, just kind of invite you to join me in a way of just in, even in your own way as you listen, just letting this time together be an opportunity to perhaps connect with those qualities, to uh, allow them to be evoked, to be present. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, many different ways we might understand these and practice them, and I just like to offer a few, a few reflections uh, on that this evening. And um, and I, I was preparing; it came to mind, you know, uh, probably familiar with um, when the Buddha says, as reported to, have said, whatever we frequently think about and ponder upon. This will become the inclination of our mind. You know, it's one of these like great pithy, wow, yeah. Whatever we frequently think about and ponder upon, this will become the inclination of our mind. So, hmm. So I think sometimes when I I, you know, have this task to prepare some reflections or, you know, that um, I really notice how um, sometimes, maybe more than others, but almost always the benefit that comes from having had a few days or a week or, you know, in this particular occasion to bring these themes to mind. And I was really noticing that again, you know, and just different ways how, um, you know, I was thinking about a particular difficult conversation, or at least I think it's going to be difficult, you know, that perception in the mind of, oh dear, and what if, and what will, and, you know, all of that. And I found, like, really bringing, um, sort of seeing what would happen if I would really bring in a sense of compassion, kindness, kind of a sense of that for myself and the feelings and then the other person and finding that it actually really did change my my sense of that um you know 
I mean, obviously, who knows what and, and, and if the conversation will happen, but I could really feel the, the helpful, you know, transformative effect of that, of, of looking in that way. So, you know, obviously not a, a very dramatic example. And you're probably very aware of that in your life and in your practice. And, and you know, sometimes we see it in very dramatic ways, that the power of, of compassion, of kindness, of appreciation and of equanimity. Um, so I, 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 these are teachings I revisit again and again, both in teaching and in practice. Um, and um, just with that sense of the depth and the breadth and the, the sort of healing power, the potential for um, you know, deep samadhi rising through that and, and deep insight you know, that can arise through um, either, you know, through what that, you know, the insights that bubble up as the mind is calm, calming and clearing, or as we practice bringing up these attitudes, you know, and how, oh, you know, the, the, just bringing up the kindness almost like brings into some, con- you know, sharp relief sometimes, that sense of the presence of, of harshness or judgment or whatever, you know, the opposite, the different, that's sort of there, that it's almost like bringing these themes in can kind of flush out some of, some of that. So very, very potent, powerful teachings and, and many ways that they're taught and practiced in the Buddhist traditions and now I'm sure you all have your own your own ways of understanding and practicing of of weaving that into your life into your meditation so you know just a lot of respect for that kind of variety and and, and in a way creativity that can arise where the you know we 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 find in a way the intimacy of our own experience what this really means because I think for me for many many years the more exposure to the meta teachings that it really really I really really didn't connect it somehow stayed at the level of idea and uh, yeah it sounds like a good idea but um, <laughs> somehow in 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 terms of my own sort of internal experience I you know would understand what it felt like to receive kindness from other people and somehow to maybe offer but in terms of the relationship with oneself and that sense of the inner climate you know, like I was touching on yesterday for those of you who are here the sense of the uh, the Kalyanamita the, the noble friendship partly being in the service of uh, cultivation of um, the capacity to be a good friend to ourself you know, as well as to to others. So, um, yeah, I I also I I share these teachings um, sometimes uh, around the sense of um, you know our life in the world, not just on retreat, and particularly how we you know how we relate to others. And what a support, what a guide, what a, you know, uh, what beacons these can be. 
I, I feel like I, I come back to them again and again. I sometimes feel like there's no situation where one of them isn't ready and you know relevant to be called upon. Um, and I, ha- I uh, have found sometimes um, teaching this these Brahma Viharas as a form of, of hospitality, of the offering of hospitality, as a, so sort of as a sense of, for example, what we create here for ourselves, for each other, through the precepts, which, as you probably well know, you know, are sometimes uh, referred to as expressions of metta, expressions of goodwill that to actually keep the precepts to train in the precepts of non-harming is 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 uh, like an expression of metta and that that's part of how we weave a fabric of of community here which is supportive of our practice of each other's practice um yeah and i um i've taught this in you know, like sanghas and like sitting groups or, you know, kind of local groups where to sort of offer these as, as ways of really, um, like as a foundation for the way we relate to each other, for community. Um, so I think both in terms of what we're doing here and what these qualities mean for our inner life or you know for the life and health and and liberation of our minds you know to to see that not to see that as separate necessarily from our families our friendships you know or who knows even our workplaces or our dharma communities to to practice these as a way of strengthening you know the fabric the wholesome fabric that they can and hold what's difficult because you know, I guess that's another reason why I come back to these again and again the way that an uh, our awareness enriched with these qualities and with wisdom and, and other qualities is is I mean I don't know about you but I feel like you know I wouldn't it's like you couldn't practice all right <laughs> How would you get through a retreat without some kindness? I mean, really, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of very interesting to me to see, maybe, I don't know if this makes sense, again and again I see not, you know, not just at a gross level where we're dealing with, you know, some sort of, you know, kind of psychedelic hindrances, you know, whatever, just really vivid and all that, but, you know, also in the subtler, subtler levels of letting go and... Of, of of shifts and release, isn't it? It feels to me like the Brahma Viharas, maybe particularly kindness and compassion, but also Medita and Upeka, that they 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 foster a climate of mind, a kind of an atmosphere, an environment that's conducive to you know, learning or, or releasing or you know, bearing with, you know, that kind of, the way they can support and infuse the mindfulness. You know, it's like, I don't know if you have that experience, that you're just, you're trying to be with something, but there's something missing. 
<laughs> some goodwill missing and there's some equanimity that's not there and again you know there's a sort of like some craving some aversion happening um, almost unconsciously or you know maybe subtle kinds of, of clinging and somehow or subtle kinds of negativity and I'll talk about each a little bit about each one um, but as you know the these have a kind of antidotal qualities that can be um, brought in to uh, to help what is afflictive. And we think of metta in that way. I think it's really true, the other three as well. But I, before I go on, I wanted to share you, I share sometimes this wonderful quote from Henry Nouwen, who's a great Christian theologian who I, I kind of met, well, I didn't meet him, but his work in Quaker settings. And I just feel it's really, really relevant to what I've been trying to express about um, about uh, hospitality. So he says, hospitality means primarily the creation of a free space where a stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Mm. See how, to me, that really relates both to you know people, but also to those uh, strange <laughs> right? mental states and things that come in, like possibility of that becoming a friend instead of an enemy. You know, like the great Rumi poem, "The Guest House," where it's, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's, it expresses that sense of how even the afflictive, you know, visitors, the difficult visitors somehow met met in this spirit can as as he says uh become guides from beyond so and then also henry now and also says um hospitality is not to change people but to offer space where change can take place a friendly emptiness where people can discover their freedom, dance their own dances, and leave free to follow their own vocation. Isn't that lovely? I feel like, you know, that could be about this place. Yeah, of, of, oh, where we, you know, I just, this, when I contemplate this, it's just so moving to me that we, this is what we're offering each other, right? This, space where you know friendly emptiness where we can discover our freedom you know dance our own dances <laughs> and leave free to follow our own vocation yeah really love that maybe I'll put it on the board for you yeah wonderful yeah so these um, beautiful qualities, the, the Brahma Viharas, they have, as you know, this sense of their own individual qualities, um, but also a kind of, maybe a sense in which they work together. You know, in the suttas they often come together, and I, I'm going to read you 
a little bit of how they often show up in the suttas as a meditation teaching from the Buddha. But I wanted to share with you a uh, a little teaching that um, is one of those mysterious Sangha teachings that I don't really know where it comes from. Um, but I've shared it and a lot of people have found it helpful. It comes somewhat from my colleague Paul Burrows, but he got it from somewhere and he couldn't remember. So... <laughs> Maybe you'll recognize it. And then I put it together in this way, and I know now others are using it and accrediting me. So anyway, it's like, it's the Sangha, you know. It's, this is a teaching from the Sangha. So, And, and I'll, I'll just go through it. And I, I invite you to sort of feel that sense of how um, we can um, relate to these teachings to as sort of like... A sense of okay, what's needed? What's needed? You know, and how uh, each of these qualities can balance and support each other. Which I, I think, yeah, maybe that's part. You know, you know, why the Buddha would teach them together, because they work together. And I, I also feel like that's, it's that's part of what's so challenging, but also so lovely about the Buddha's teachings. It's always six of this, seven of that, eight of this. You know, you just like, just tell me the one thing to do. And it's like, well, it's not quite like that, you know. Conditions come together. And <laughs> there's lots of them. And, you know, there's so many wholesome qualities to cultivate. And, yeah. Yeah, how to be simple with that in the, you know, in the sort of immediacy of our experience and yet, you know, sort of, isn't it interesting, but trying to honor and respect the, the, the sort of complexity or the richness of the heart on the level of wholesome qualities, you know, where it's not so entangling and reactive, is it? It's more... The reactive qualities, the afflictive emotions tend to be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, what, uh, you know, like that. And these, the wholesome qualities tend to be quieter. So that's interesting to me in terms of how we value them and recognize them and cultivate them that even in a very quiet way, they can be doing good work. And it's not like bells and whistles and lights. And of course, sometimes they can be very like that, very strong and blissful and all that, ecstatic even. But um, also the more ordinary sort of um, oatmeal variety. Very helpful. <laughs> I, heard that, I just haven't said that, I don't know quite, anyway. You kind of get what I mean about the oatmeal, the porridge, kind of immeasurables. <laughs> so metta, the love that connects is an antidote to all forms of aversion. I'll put this on the board as well, so don't worry if you like. Oh, I'll try, yeah, I'll maybe try and hold this thing closer. I think that's part of what it is. Is that better? Yeah, I'll hold the thingy. Thank you. <laughs> it's like, maybe I don't get to, to defeat this thing till I'm an arahant. <laughs> you might be waiting a while. <laughs> Um, so, metta, the love that connects, is an antidote to all forms of aversion, even to microphones. No, that's not there, I think. It is not attachment, 
If it slides into sentimentality, karuna brings the heart back into balance. Do you hear that? The far enemy and the near enemy? It's like, yeah. Cause, because of greed, hatred and delusion operating in the mind, then inevitably some of our good intentions get polluted or hijacked, don't they? So I think this is so helpful in that way. Like, oh, no, not that way. Oh, so karuna, the love that responds, is an antidote to cruelty. It is not pity. If it slides into sorrow, mudita brings the heart back into balance. You follow? You follow? <laughs> so again, the far enemy and the near enemy. So then a mudita, the love that celebrates, is an antidote to envy. It is not competitive. If it slides into agitated excitement, Upeka brings the heart back into balance. It's good, isn't it? I know. No, you don't have to agree. It's all right. Um, yeah, again, far enemy, near enemy. Just, And then lastly, Upeka, equanimity, the love that allows, is the antidote to partiality. It is not indifference. If it slides into disconnection, metta brings the heart back into balance. So can you hear how and it sort of goes around in a circle? It's rather lovely. Um, so I'll leave that for you to see. But I think the yeah, the point is that it's um the way the way these work together. They work together. They, we need all of them. And it's interesting, sometimes I think you can sort of look in your own practice and your own experience and see maybe which ones are, tend to be more alive for you. You know, or the ones where you think, yeah, I don't know, I don't like that one. Or um, the ones where you feel like, I don't really know what that is. Or, you know, this sort of interesting, I can sort of that's been helpful over time to sort of okay maybe practice that one because I don't understand what it is um, so I want to say a little bit about each one each each immeasurable So metta, metta, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you know of that? And do you recognize that experience? Mm. And as I was saying earlier, it feels to me like, you know, because there's so much uh, natural tendency to aversion, you know, in, in all of us, that it's a most crucial quality to, to learn how to recognize and how to kind of bring it in 
to our experience. I think this is so interesting. I can remember sitting on meta retreats going, may I be well, may I be well, may I be well, you know. Mm. It just like, it didn't kind of connect. It didn't, didn't open things up, didn't connect. So for me, it's been important to experiment with different ways in, like stories, poems, images, right? Animals, chipmunks, <laughs> I know. Memories, that's another thing I use a lot, is memories of, you know, moments of kindness, either, you know, I was on the receiving end, or I saw it, or I was offering, and how somehow, again, that language of simile that's so strong in the Buddha's teachings, how much that, oh, (laughs) or particularly memory, but also, I think, imagination. Because I think for some of us, it takes some imagining. It's like, what would it be like if... I felt really loved right now. Yeah? You don't have to engage if it feels icky or something. What would it feel like? What would it be like, you know, if I felt right now, or even open to that message or that offering that I, right now, that somehow just as I am right now, with these thoughts and feelings and mind states and this body and this situation, I just feel completely allowed to be here, completely allowed, just as I am. So again, just to see, not thinking about it, but like, ah, I think for some of us that is the way in, you know. And um, and then again, there's a practice. It's not like it just happens. Or maybe there's something there to, to keep repeating. And also to notice in our life, you know, when we feel welcome, when we feel kindly received, you know. And so part of the practice is also, I think, noticing it. Like, I was thinking today how... <laughs> was in the bathroom and it was clean one of you had cleaned it and I was like wow how lovely you know this kind of this manifestation of metta isn't it and this whole place is really this whole place you know so much an expression of generosity and kindness so it's all around us all the time to be resonated with do you see what I mean it's like finding finding our own resonance and I know when I was here once on a month-long retreat with metta as a theme it was kind of wonderful because I I had a one particular practice I I used but I actually allowed it to be also an exploration to see if I just take that as an intention and an interest I discovered so many ways of Noticing, receiving, offering, reflecting on, noticing the absence of, you know, just, it was all, it's all, it's all here. And I think what's been very, very important for me with, with Metta and with the other Brahma Viharas, particularly this, 
is that I've I gradually I think what helped me to be able to enter the cultivation more fully was to realize I didn't have to be perfect beforehand. <laughs> I didn't have to feel nice and kind and you know I didn't have to feel or be any different in order to start evoking connecting with that quality. Do you see what I mean? Like, oh, I'm feeling really grumpy, so I can't, you know, I can't. Somehow, I started to understand that sense of the unexclusivity. That's clumsy, isn't it? The inclusivity of metta is really pointing to its very radical, radical nature that there, there is nothing that has to be left out. It cannot be um, related to, which I, I mean, yeah, work in progress. Yeah, yeah. So, so I want to share you uh, with you a, po- a, po- a poem. I'm really sorry. I think I don't think I think this might be the worst microphone experience I've had to date. Here, it's like I'm sorry. Flick this on you all. <laughs> Um, so this is a poem you may well know that um, I think is a remarkable a remarkable poem and again in terms of what can connect sometimes I think poetry can be part of what really brings brings that quality alive for us so this is a poem called Kindness by Naomi Shihab Nye Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and so carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out of the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, You must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you. How he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and a simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head 
from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. So, continuing just to mention the other Brahma Viharas, um, Karuna, compassion. And I wanted to share um, the, the way the Buddha encourages us to practice in the, in the suttas, in the early suttas. And he does, I'm going to read you um, the Just for Compassion, but it's the same practice for um, the other Brahma Viharas. Um, And if you want to find it, it's the one I've got here is from the middle length sayings, number 38, but you you can find it, um, I'm sure, in other places too. And uh, yeah, so here, here's the Buddha. Abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with compassion. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth. So above below, around, and everywhere, and to all as to yourself. Abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with goodwill, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, and without ill-will. Excuse me, I changed to goodwill because that's what I've got written here, but yeah, and uh, for those of you who've practiced in this way, you know it doesn't use different beings or people, but it um, it's another really beautiful way of practicing, of just spreading, pervading through the body, and then practicing in the directions. Perhaps some of you practice in that way. Um, and again, it's finding particular phrases or images or memories that kind of. Um, help to catalyze or evoke or bring that to mind. Um, hmm. I, um, how are we doing? Yeah. I wanted to share a story that, just a very short story that I sometimes share. It moves me so much somehow with the compassion. And again, I'm sure you, you have your own. I heard this not too long ago. Maybe some of you have heard me mention it. Um, maybe a year and a half or two years ago, I think, something like that, there was a whale stranded in the bay near San Francisco. 
and hope my memory of the story is correct, but so a group of divers go down to uh, help this whale who has got tangled up in fishing netting. And I think it was five, five divers go down and and go to help this whale, you know, with sharp knives or scissors or something to cut the, the net. And this huge whale just allows them, just stays quiet in the water and just allows them to, you know, cut, 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 snip, snip, snip. And, and the divers are working away and gradually the net comes off and the, the, the whale is, is freed. And the divers kind of retreat, go back, you know, a little way to give the whale space. And then what happened was, before the whale left, this whale moved around and looked in the eyes of each of the divers with one great eye. One and then the other the other, all five, and then left. I don't know if that touches you, but it, every time I tell it, there's something really powerful in that for me, and I, I don't, yeah, I mean that could be different for each one of us, but I'm I'm also struck by how the <laughs> the creativity of the mind works. And I like when I was reflecting on this today, I was imagining myself as the whale, and I was imagining good people and caring beings and good energies snipping away at the the net, yeah, the, the net of samsara is in, in trapping me. And then I could imagine myself as the diver helping to release another being. Mm. So I think, you know, Stories, images, similes, memories. <laughs> we could probably spend a great evening together just telling stories about kindness and from our experience. We won't do that this evening. But, um, yeah, not to prolifer- proliferative nonsense, but uh, the kinds of thoughts that perhaps is helpful. So I'm I'm kind of running out of time for Mudita and Upeka. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe just very briefly with Mudita, I I want to share my very very good friend Zohar Lavi, who's a wonderful teacher, and I learned a lot about Mudita and Mudita practice from her, and I got some phrases from her. The thing about Mudita that I I think I think is really important is that it's part of how we can gladden the mind. 
really, really important skill in practice, isn't it? Or sort of retreat survival tool. <laughs> you know, the Buddha recommended we know that we have that skillfulness and know how to gladden the mind. So as well as really supporting our relationships, you know, I remember years ago when I, I had m- m- terrible, terrible time with envy. It's much better now, fortunately. But it, I used to be terribly afflicted by envy. Very, very painful. You know, that whole sense of uh, they have and I haven't and I lack and they have and they're so great and I'm so, you know, like envy. Really, really painful. And I remember going to speak to my teacher, Christina Feldman, about it. And she just looked at me and said, do mudita practice. <laughs> And it was really hard because I went away going for this person who was actually on retreat the same time as me, who I was so envious. I was going, may your good fortune continue, may your goodness and gladness and good fortune, may it deepen, may it deepen, increase and grow. (laughs) I was like, yeah, it was a bit torturous at first. but I understood the wisdom of it. I totally got it. It's like this is challenging some very deeply held view of myself and and others, you know. Very painful and then very painful to challenge. And I'm very grateful that that has is not gone away completely, but it's much, much better. Um, so in that way, the antidote felt like, you know, like taking good medicine sometimes, like bitter somehow. But the other thing I wanted to say about Mudita is very much inspired by what Zohar has taught me. And um, like she's found for herself and with many people she teaches is that it's really helpful to start with yourself, with joy. Because often the envy and the the sense of, you know, all that is uh, to do with, and it, it kind of gets associated with you know, like negativity and depression. Uh, no joy here. Yeah. So I can't really. It's like harder to be glad for other people because they've got it and I haven't. And you know, I can't wish it for them because I haven't got any. I need some. What about me? No, <laughs> that kind of thing. And so this one retreat. She, I was, you know, she was teaching, and I was sitting this, and so I just offer you this, and then sort of that, as part again in the spirit of the the important skill of of gladdening the mind and of 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 learning of allowing ourselves to enjoy life. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, remember the equanimity comes next, so you're all right if you enjoy it too much. The equanimity will come in and say, oi. <laughs> it's true, it's good, it, does, it works like that. But anyway, this is, we enjoyed working with these, so may I learn to appreciate the joy I experience. Maybe I'll put these on the board as well, right? Yeah. May I learn to appreciate the joy I experience. Jesus, yeah. May I be joyful. May I be content, you know, that this, I guess this is a phrase that spoke most to me because it's like, there is joy, can I learn to appreciate it? Oh, oh, yeah, I think probably, yeah. And that this, um, 
is really possible for us. But again, given our, you know, that Teflon Velcro thing, the tendency for the positive to slide off like off Teflon and negative to stick as to Velcro, right? So this is like very antidotal to that, isn't it? And and I can really feel I could like it came up when we were teaching this together. Everybody's like, is this really okay? Is this kosher? Is this like proper? Is this proper Buddhist thing? And people were walking around in the garden, you know, appreciating their joy. <laughs> it was quite. It was really so. Anyway, I um, uh, with thanks to Zohar, and I'll I'll leave those on the board for you. So I won't talk about Upeka. I think that's enough, probably. But um, maybe I will close these reflections with a quote from Ajahn Chah. Uh, which maybe will serve as our Upeka segment for this evening. And there'll be lots on the board for you to read. So, so you're probably familiar with this, one of my top ten quotes probably, I think. Love it. Try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful, rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So I would wish for you, for me, for all of us, and for our benefit and for the benefit of all beings, um, that we recognize and know and cultivate and enjoy these four beautiful, immeasurable qualities of our human heart, love, compassion, joy and equanimity. So thank you for your thank you for your attention. <laughs>